0: Welcome to the Hedgemaker broadcast. The prophet Ezekiel prophesied to the nation of Israel many long years ago. Ye have not gone up into the gaps, neither made up the hedge for the house of Israel to stand in the battle in the day of the Lord. He also said that the Lord sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land, that I should not destroy it, but I found none. Hedgemaker Baptist Ministries, located in beautiful Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, is attempting to stand in the gap and make up the hedge in these days of spiritual compromise and theological apostasy. Our biblical and historical Christian heritage challenges us to fill in the gaps left by those who have moved away from their biblical foundation. Listen now as we build up the wall and make up the hedge through sound preaching from God's Holy Word.
1: All right, tonight we're back in the Gospel of Mark, Mark chapter number 11. Begin reading at verse number 15, Mark 11 and verse 15. We're titling the message tonight, The Servant and His Worship. The Servant and His Worship. The theme, of course, of the Gospel of Mark is presenting Christ as a servant, and so we've been watching Christ as our example and uh, trying to serve uh, the Lord like Jesus served his Father. So, Mark chapter 11. I'll read verses 15 through 19 to get the... Uh, text and the context there, and they come to Jerusalem, we've already seen this is the last week of the ministry of the Lord, he's already in Jerusalem, and Jesus, or in that area, and Jesus went into the temple and began to cast out them that sold and bought in the temple, and overthrew the tables of the money changers, and the seats of them that sold doves, and would not suffer that any man should carry any vessel through the temple, And he taught, saying unto them, Is it not written, My house shall be called of all nations the house of prayer? But ye have made it a den of thieves, and the scribes and the chief priests heard it and sought how they might destroy him, for they feared him, because all the people was astonished at his doctrine. And when even was come, he went out of the city, probably retiring to Bethany, where he was staying at uh, Martha and Mary and Lazarus' place. The cleansing of the temple. Now, I think that there were two cleansings of the temple, one in the beginning of Christ's ministry, which would be recorded for us in John chapter 2. John is the only one that records that cleansing of the temple. And that was at the beginning of his ministry. So it's an interesting thought that Christ came to earth And when he began his ministry, he started in the temple, and he ended in the temple. The disciples, of course, had this idea, the disciples and many of his Jewish followers, that he was to be this kingly, political messiah. He was going to be that, but not right away. But Jesus' emphasis was upon a spiritual kingdom. He told his disciples at one point, my kingdom is not of this world. The temple, of course, was in Jewish culture the symbol and center of religious and spiritual worship. You and I can make an analogy to our lives. We don't have a, a building called a temple. Our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and 1 Corinthians chapter 6, a place where we ought to worship the Lord. I sometimes wrestle with some of these Baptist churches that call themselves such and such a Baptist temple. I'm not so sure, just my personal opinion, that that's an accurate way to call a church. I do hesitate as well to call it a church because the church is not a building. It's a group of people. So what do we call ourselves? I like the old timers. They called it the meeting house. It was the place where the church met. It wasn't the church. It was the place where they met. But that kind of sounds too old-fashioned. We'd never have anybody come to the Heritage Baptist Meeting House. What in the world is that? But it's a different culture, different age we live in. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't call your church a such-and-such a a temple, but it just has a Jewish ring to it. But it is the place where the Jews would worship. So if you're going to call it that because of that relationship, then uh, that, that makes sense. And that's what Jesus is doing here. He's coming to the place where the Jews would worship. Now, he also calls it, in verse 17, my house, or in the other passages, uh, Matthew and Luke, I'm not sure which one does what, but at least one of them calls it my father's house. So, it was the Lord's house. We've taken that vernacular, that terminology, and we've called the church the Lord's house. This is the Lord's house. It's the place where we meet together to meet with the Lord. And so that's what they were supposed to be doing in the temple. In verse 17, he also says that this should be a house of prayer. Right? It's one of the things that they were doing in the temple, or supposed to be doing in the temple. What displeased the Lord, both in the first incident in John 2, and now in this second incident, which is, is also recorded in Matthew 21 and Luke 19, and here in Mark 11, all of those chapters deal with the latter end of Jesus' ministry at the close of his ministry. This incident probably took place during that last week between the Palm Sunday and the Resurrection Sunday, well, before the crucifixion. So he's ministering there in the temple. He often did come to the temple. It wasn't, you know, something out of the ordinary that he is doing. And there was temple worship every day. Not just on feast days or special days, or like we do on Sunday, there was a temple worship every day. And so it was supposed to be a hallowed place. It was supposed to be a, I don't know that we have any scripture for that. You know, it was David's idea back in the day to build this house for the Lord. God designed for them to have this tent of meeting called the tabernacle. The nation of Israel met for many, many years that way, and David got it in his head to build a building, an actual building, and they called it a temple. And when he did, the Lord spoke to David at one time, did I ask you to build me a temple, that I needed this house? Well, no, he didn't. But then the temple becomes a beautiful picture. It's pattern, of course, on the, on the pattern of the tabernacle, which God explicitly gave to Moses there on the mountain when he got the Ten Commandments. And, you know, basically has the three parts to it, the the most holy place, the holy place, and then the outer courts. When the temple was built, it was based on those three parts as well, but then there, because it was a larger building and stationary, there were more outer rooms or outer courts. And we'll uh, give you those here in a moment. So Jesus enters the temple. I'm trying to make an analogy of that to our lives, if our bodies, 1 Corinthians 3, are the temple of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God dwells within us, then there's a somewhat of an analogy of the Lord coming to live with us. We know that happens, of course, spiritually in the person of the Holy Spirit. And someone has made analogy to this about inviting the Lord to your house. And every room of the house should be open to the Lord. We ought to invite the Lord into every place, cupboard, closet, everything should be accessible to the Lord. I don't know how to make the analogy of we inviting the Lord into our hearts. We do that as a Christian when we come to know Christ as Savior. We usually use that with children, you know, inviting the Lord into your heart, whether that's the best terminology to use or not. But as a Christian, we have the tendency to try to shut the Lord out of parts of our lives. So that's kind of the analogy I wanted to make here with this, the Lord coming to the temple. I think in the previous passage, he came to the temple and he just looked around. And we suggested at that point that he just looked and maybe he was watching these things we're going to look at tonight. And the Lord often comes to us. In fact, in the Old Testament, the Old Testament writers, the prophets, would use the terminology of the Lord's visitation. Uh, the Lord would come to visit. In the New Testament, when the Lord gave his parables, he talked about a certain king or nobleman or rich man going away on a far country journey and leaving his estate in the hands of his servants and then coming back at some time. Maybe announced, maybe unannounced. And that's kind of the way I'm looking at this. The Lord has a right to come to his temple at any time. He doesn't have to come announced. And, of course, we should be ready at all times, not only for the second coming of the Lord, but the Lord's visitation. So the Lord came to the temple here, this building that had many parts to it. Now, as we mentioned, there's the inner parts, the two, the holy place and the most holy place, The priest, of course, in the holy place was the only one who was allowed to go in there. Then the high priest was only allowed to go into the most holy place once a year on the Day of Atonement. And, of course, we want the Lord to come to that most holy place, our innermost being, so to speak. The outer parts of the temple were like the tabernacle. There was in the tabernacle just one court but in the temple there were several courts. In fact, four different courtyards. I don't have a diagram to show you of that, but uh, there was the courts of the priests, and only the priests were allowed to enter this court. And this this is coming out from the center core of the most holy place. The priests were the only ones to enter that court, which was outside of the holy place. And that is where the altar of burnt offering and the brazen laver and the lampstand, the altar of incense, and the showbread, all of that was there. And the court of Israel was next. Another large court where Jewish worshippers met together for joint services during the feast days. And you had to be a Jew to enter that courtyard. And then there was the court of the women. That wasn't in the tabernacle, but they added that when they made the temple I don't know all the history of that, but the women were usually limited to this area except for when they worshipped where they could enter the court of the Israelites when they came to make a sacrifice or to worship in the joint assembly on the great feast day. And then outside of that was the court of the Gentiles, where non-Jewish people could come. And this was evidently in the Temple of Vast space. And it was in that courtyard where the Lord has this trouble with the worshipers. When he entered the temple, Jesus entered the court of the Gentiles, the outer court. It's not that the Lord is barring certain people from worship. We shouldn't think of it that way. The worship is available to all. And I think that's shown with the various courtyards. And in our thinking as New Testament believers, because the body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, every Christian, doesn't matter who he is, Jew or Gentile, male, female, as Paul says, Scythian, barbarian, you know, bond or free, whatever, it doesn't matter. We all can have a personal, intimate relationship with the Lord. The New Testament makes the analogy that we are believer priests. So we have the capacity to go into that place, not just the outer courtyards, but all the way in to visit with the Lord. And of course, the Lord Jesus is the great high priest. So the analogy is there that all of us in the New Testament can come into the close places of worship. But thinking about that, I believe that the Lord does have, how should I say it? Let's put it this way, not that the Lord has, but that there are more intimate worshipers than others. We can be like the Gentiles and be on the fringes. And I, and I want to make not just the analogy to the temple as the, the body as the temple, but as the church house. Even though we don't use the vernacular, we don't at Heritage Baptist, Heritage Baptist Temple, but the church house and the place where we worship as having those fringes? Where are we in this? The potential is for us to be in the innermost circle. You look at the disciples. Jesus had twelve disciples, but there were three of them that were closer to Jesus than the other nine. Why was that? Did the Lord choose Peter, James, and John over the other disciples? No, I don't think so. I think it's because Peter, James, and John wanted to be close to Jesus. And I think that's the way it is with us. Where's your desire? Where's my desire in getting close to the Lord? Am I content with being on the fringes? Or do I want to move into a closer relationship? We sing the hymns about that. Draw me nearer and so forth. So there are the various court cases. Now, in the temple, there were walls built between the courtyards. Even with the tabernacle, if you were outside of the tabernacle, the tabernacle had this covering of badger skins and it looked pretty ugly. But when you got inside of the tabernacle, you saw the beauty of it with all the gold and blue and purple and whatnot that was involved with the furnishings of the tabernacle. But you didn't see that until you got inside. And I think that's the way it is. The closer we get to the intimate relationship with the Lord the more we see the beauty of Christ. You can see it on the outside, and there are people in churches who are on the fringes, who see the beauty of Christianity from either an outside position, maybe they're not even saved, but they come to church anyway, or they're saved and they have a profession of faith, they're saved, but that's it. They don't really walk with the Lord. And there may be in the court of the Gentiles, so to speak, And they see some of what's going on in the church, but they don't really get into that close-knit relationship with the Lord. In Christianity, we should not have those barriers between the various courtyards. We can imagine that separating us. What if in our church we said, okay, here's the place where the people who are on the fringes sit. And there's a great wall between. And then here are the people that want to get closer, maybe we have them in rows. Okay, The back row is back there and there's a great wall between the people that are on the fringes. I mean, that would be sort of ridiculous, wouldn't it? And those who really wanted to get close to the Lord were up here in the front row. I mean, we think of that That's kind of silly because in the New Testament Christ prayed that we would all be one in Christ. And then we have the analogy, of course, in the New Testament as well with the Lord renting the veil that's between the holy place and the most holy place. And so there's this, as Paul said to the Ephesians, there's, what did he call it? The middle wall of partition is broken down. So we don't have those barriers and shouldn't have those barriers. We should be all trying to get into that intimate place of worship with the Lord. And we should be helping those who are on the outer fringes to be brought in. Just like we say when people visit our church, You know, you've been there when you visited a church. You're an outsider coming in. How does that church make you feel? We want to make those people feel like, hey, come on in. Worship with us. Join with us. So there is something to say about that. So the Lord comes to visit the temple. And he often comes to visit us personally and to visit the church. So we have the Lord uh, entering or coming to the temple. The second thing I want to give you is what we see when Jesus gets in the temple. He casts some people out of the temple. And here I want to give you five offenses that we find listed in these verses. Five offenses in the temple. Verse 15, And they come to Jerusalem, and Jesus went into the temple. And he began to cast out them that sold and bought in the temple, and over the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves. What's happening there? We have a group of people now that are commercializing religion. If we understand what's happening here. The Jews, of course, were required to come to worship at the temple. They would come, especially on the feast days, but other times as well, and they would bring an offering with them. And that would depend on their wealth and their need and all of that sort of thing. But it was much easier to come and purchase an offering at the temple. So the temple became a place of merchandise. The work of the church ought to be done by the Lord's people giving offerings, not by commercializing. Now, again, this is in the court of the Gentiles. Okay? So on the outer fringes, Money changers and the, the selling of the doves and the, and the animals was there for those who came to worship. He was enough to say, and we would do that today, we make it easy for us to do things. If we're going to go on a trip, it's much easier, maybe not as economical, but it's much easier, if you're going on a long trip especially, to purchase your food when you get there than to carry it all along. If you carry it along, you have to take a cooler with you, you have to make it ahead of time, you have to do... And it's a less work. Well, it was less work to come to the temple and purchase your offering and then, of course, have it offered to the Lord. So, there were hundreds of thousands of animals that were sold, particularly at the feast times. And this, of course, was Passion Week, so we're getting ready for Passover. And evidently, the priests, along with the high priest, were involved in right in the middle of all of this commercialization. And so the Lord says, make not my father's house a place of merchandise. So he overthrew the temples there and of the money changers and the seats of them that sold the doves. We don't want to commercialize the church or the work of the Lord. They were also those who were desecrating the house of the Lord. Look at the next verse, verse number 16. And he would not suffer that any man should carry any vessel through the temple. And I don't have the geography of the temple, but folks evidently took a shortcut. We're great for shortcuts, aren't we? A shortcut through the temple area, through the court of the Gentiles, desecrating the house of God. That was not the purpose for the temple. And it would especially, you know, people that have some kind of a heavy load, well, let's go through the temple. So the Lord forbade them to disrespect the house of God. And uh, so, again, we can make analogies. What things have we brought into our church because it's easier to do it in the church and should it be there? Then he says, verse 17, and he taught. Saying unto them, Is it not written, My house shall be called of all nations the house of prayer? Well, some people were making this not a house of prayer. They were changing the atmosphere of prayer into something else. It was supposed to be a house of prayer. And of course he calls it my house. I think in the other place he calls it the Lord's house of prayer, the Father's house of prayer. And so it was supposed to be a place to spend time in prayer. Now, if this is taking place in the court of the Gentiles, on the outside fringes, we would tend to think, well, you can pray in the inner courts. But what does God want? God wants the whole temple to be dedicated to Him. Make the analogy to your body and my body. Well, I give God my Sunday. Or I give Him so much of my life. Why do I have to give Him all of my life? But the Lord wants of all, doesn't He? He wants our whole temple to be a temple of prayer, a house of prayer. Everything we do should be bathed in prayer. Alright, so this Holy Spirit that lives within us is a spirit, and God tells us that when we worship, we should worship Him in spirit and in truth. And so... Every part of our being should be worshipful. Now, it also says, but ye have made it a den of thieves, and instead of making it a house of prayer, it's supposed to be a house of prayer for all nations. Back to the middle of verse 17. My house shall be called of all nations a house of prayer. So there was the court of the Gentiles, not just for the Jews, and so the temple was to be a house of prayer for all nations. But evidently, they were shutting out some people. We don't know that for sure. It doesn't really give us all the details about all of that. But we're not to exclude people from worshiping in the house of the Lord. All should be welcome. We've come to the book of James. And you have the illustration of the rich man in the fair fine clothing and the poor man in the not-so-fair clothing, and we have the tendency to discriminate between the rich and the poor. Well, that ought not to be. So, we need to open the house of the Lord to all. And then, they're changing the purpose of the temple. Instead of it being the uh, house of prayer, it's now a den of thieves. And again, evidently, the priests are involved with this. We're not given the details about all of this, but it kind of reminds you of Hophni and Phineas back in the Old Testament who were dipping their fingers, not literally, but their spears and their things that you grab the meat with in the sacrifices and taking the best parts for themselves. In the Old Testament sacrifice, the person who's worshipping, depending on what kind of a sacrifice it was, part of it could be given to the priests. And the priests were saying, well, let's choose for ourselves which part of the sacrifice we want. And so they were dipping in there and pulling out the sacrifices for themselves and God was not pleased with that. So this kind of reminds me of that, this house of God being a a den of thieves, the priests perhaps involved with it, and stealing the people's money, charging perhaps outrageous prices for the animals, the doves and whatnot to make extra money for themselves. And Jesus said that the house of the Lord would not, should not be a den of thieves. Well, we have today changed the purpose for the house of God. It is now not a place of worship and preaching. It's basically today, generically speaking, a place for entertainment. We call them religious clubs. Yeah, they're religious, but it's a club. It's not really worship. We've changed the purpose of the temple. So those are the five offenses. They've commercialized things. They've desecrated the house of God by allowing everything to pass through it. They have affected the atmosphere of prayer. They have shut out certain people. And they have changed the purpose of the temple. And Jesus was upset about this. Now once again, let me remind you, He did this at the beginning of His ministry, And now at the end of the ministry, he wants the whole emphasis to be a spiritual emphasis. Uh, What have we done with the Lord in a spiritual way? And then we look at the reaction to this in verse number 18. And the scribes and the chief priests heard it and sought how they might destroy him. For they feared him because all the people were astonished at his doctrine. There's really two reactions here. There's the anger of those who were against Jesus and you know, began to persecute him. The scribes and Pharisees sought to destroy him. So there's the an anger at the presence of Christ and there's the astonishment at the doctrine of Christ. You ought to have the second reaction. Not the anger at Christ's presence, but the astonishment at his doctrine. And then we find also the reaction or the response of the lord jesus in verse number 19 and when he even was come he went out of the city jesus left the city because the folks rejected his message the servant and his worship how do we worship in the temple how do we worship when we come to the house of god how do we worship in our own person in our body since our body is the temple of the holy spirit how do we worship the lord Are we commercializing our lives, the life of our church? Are we making it a desecrated place by dragging things through our bodies, through our churches that would defile? Are we changing the atmosphere of prayer, making it a place of prayer only sometimes? Are we shutting out certain people from our churches, from our lives, Are we changing the purpose for which we are designed? Ultimately, our goal, our purpose is to give glory to God. Are we giving glory to God? What are we doing with our temple, the servant and his worship?
0: This is Dr. Lee Hennise, and we want to thank you for listening to the Hedgemaker broadcast today. Most of our broadcasts are portions of a sermon that I have preached to church. Hedgemaker Baptist Ministries is the preaching, teaching, and writing ministry for myself. You can visit us on the web at hedgemaker.org. And let's be encouraged to stand in the gap and make up the hedge until Jesus comes again.